I want you to open your Bibles this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If I ask you to turn to the faith chapter, where would you turn? Hebrews 11. If I ask you to turn to the shepherd chapter, the shepherd psalm, you turn to Psalm 23. Or the psalm of the blessed man, Psalm 1. Or Psalm, uh, the protective psalm, Psalm 91. But if I ask us to turn to the resurrection chapter, you know where we turn. We turn right here to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the resurrection chapter. And we're actually just going to get to the first part of this. Last evening, we had a minister's meeting here. We had a marvelous time in the Holy Spirit as we were receiving receiving, uh, testimonies and we were worshiping and we were getting full of the Holy Spirit and just receiving blessing. But before that service started, I noticed there was someone outside looking in the window and someone else noticed it and they said, uh, I wonder who that is. I could tell they were just peeking in and then they would kind of look away and then they would look in. And so I went out to see what was going on. There was a gentleman standing there. His name was Steve. And I said, uh, sir, can I help you? He said, uh, yeah. He said, uh, kind of him hawed around a little bit. Only Southern folks know what him hawing is, but uh, if you understood that, say, let me see your hand. Amen. Yeah, all right. You Southern folks. I don't know if there's any Yankees here, but all the Southern folks understood that. But Steve shuffled around, and uh, uh, he said, well, I was down at Walmart, and he said, uh, I was asking for some help. And, you know, as a church, that happens quite often, especially here on a busy, busy thoroughfare. You get that from time to time, and probably churches in our location get more than our share. And uh, we realize there are people that come by and they are just going from church to church and they're just wanting a little money. They're not really, ha- they don't really have a need. They're just trying to get an easy buck. But as Steve shuffled around, uh, he said, that I went to Walmart. I was trying to uh, see if someone would help me. And they said, I think there's a church down the road there. Maybe they can help you. So he came down and he was looking in the window. And he said, uh, sir, to be honest with you, he said, pastor, to be, because I'd introduced myself to him. I, he said, pastor, to be honest with you, he said, I just got out of prison or just got out of jail down here. I said, where were you at Lou Starrett? He said, yes. He said, I, I did something stupid and uh, I've been in for five or six months here, 190 days is what he said, actually. But he said, uh, my family was here and because of all of this, they had to go back to California and I, I just need some help. All I need is a bus ticket. That's all I need is a bus ticket. And so um, his wife, Cynthia, was actually on the phone. And so I said, let me talk to Cynthia. And I, I looked at the phone. I'm, you know, suspicious mind. And it did say California on there. So I said, hi, Cynthia. And so uh, we began to pray together. I got him, put my arm around him and began to pray for Steve and asked the Lord to bless him and to help him. And so uh, we drove him down, got him a bus ticket, and or the, the means to get the bus ticket. And on the way back, he said this, uh, as I began to inquire about, you know, what's, what was it like in, in jail? And he said it was scary every single day. Every day it was scary. He said you'd have the skinheads that were with their group and craziness, and you'd have the... I don't know if he said the Bloods or the Crips or the Bandidos or this and that. 
And he said, there's just craziness that goes on there. People are setting mattresses on fire, and they're, they're getting contraband drugs in there. And he said, some of the worst people I've ever met. And he said, I was afraid every day. He said, but I've served my time. I've served these months, and now I'm out. And he said, I'm so grateful. He said, I don't, he said I'm grateful. And he said, even for this shirt on my back, I am just so grateful to be out. And as I think about what Steve said, about what it felt like to walk out of that prison. You know, we've all been in a type of prison. You know that, don't you? You say, I've never been in loose territory. Well, I hope you never are. But we've all been in another kind of prison. You know what I'm saying? We've all been in another kind of bondage. And I think when Steve had a, had a sense of freedom when he walked out, and even though he doesn't have much and he's struggling and he's going to get back to California and he's going to get with his family, he has four kids, and we certainly need to pray for him. But I just can imagine the feeling when he walked out of that prison and he said, Pastor, I'm never going back to jail again. And it wasn't like a violent crime. It was just something stupid and it kind of compounded. And he said, but I'm never going back there again. He said, I, I, I've got a job in California. He said, I do body work. He said, I already have a job lined up. And, and he's looking forward to the future. And I hope that we were able to, to bless him. He had actually been a part of Assembly of God Church out there in California. And, and I thought maybe we were just a little boost for him to get him going back in the right way. Let me ask you a question tonight before I read this text. Do you remember what it's like to come out of your prison? Do you remember that time from the, from the very first moment that you said yes to Jesus and the spiritual prison doors were open and your sins were forgiven and the, and the bondages were broken and the Holy Spirit came in? That's a great feeling. And you know what? I, I never want to go back to that life again because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And you know, as far as the child of God is, in truth, we don't have a past anymore, but we do have a glorious future. Amen? Because our past is washed away. Our past is under the blood of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and we are new. Do you know you are new? If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature, he's a new creation, he's a new person, and we don't have to live like we used to live, but we have Jesus in our lives now. This text talks about where the freedom came from. Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and he's dealing with some struggles in the church. And he started off in the first part of this book telling them that I want to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And he, and he presents to them Jesus Christ, the crucified Savior. But here, what we have in, in these verses I'm going to read, and I may not get very far in this teaching tonight, but I want you to hear these words. Because what I want to tell you, these words are greater than anything I could say about them. The words are what we need to hear. These are God's holy words. What we have before us, that we're going to read 11 verses, we have the answer to mankind's greatest need. Do you know you have the answer? You have the answer. Brother Jack told me this evening that he shared, he was sharing, a gentleman that he knows, he was sharing with him about the Lord, and he invited him to church tonight. The gentleman said, Brother Jack, next time I come, I'm going I'm to come to, next time you come, I'm coming to church with you. You know why Jack did that? Because Jack believes that we have the answer. 
You have the answer. We have the answer. His name is Jesus. He's the only answer. Remember Peter said that? There's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Even Jesus said it. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. So the verses I'm going to read to you tonight are the answer. And it's God's answer. It's what God did to, to save you and me. It's what God did to redeem fallen humanity. And it reads like this in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1. Moreover, brethren, I, I declare to you the gospel. I declare to you the gospel. I want you to think about those words. The gospel, the euangelion, the gospel, the good news, God's saving message. Do you know there's one place that Paul said, Woe be to me if I don't preach the gospel. And I say that to you. I say that to me. I say that to us as a church. Woe be to us if we're not preaching the gospel. If we're not telling people the good news of Jesus. That he came to save them. To redeem them. He wants a relationship with them. The gospel. The saving gospel. And the thing is that Paul, this is what Paul's life was. He was consumed with a passion, Holy Spirit life, Holy Spirit passion to go and tell people about Jesus. So passionate was he about his own Jewish people that he said, I would to be cut off from Christ if I knew they could be saved. In other words, I would be willing to go to hell and spend eternity there if they could be saved. The gospel, he said, which I preach to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if, everyone say if. Now read it again. By which you are, all, you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all. That is, listen, that is of first importance. That's what he means. I delivered to you first of all. That's top shelf, number one priority is the gospel. We need to keep the gospel forefront. Even Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. He was a pastor, but yet even pastors need to be calling people to Christ and presenting the saving good news of Jesus. For he says, for he says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again. Now listen, the gospel is not Jesus died and rose. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died, was buried and rose. Now hear people say, the gospel, Jesus died and rose. No, you miss one third. He died, he was buried, and on the third day he rose. Come on, hallelujah. That's the gospel. He's buried. That he rose on the th- again on the third day according to the scriptures. That he was seen by Cephas. That's Peter. Then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After he was seen by James. Then by all the apostles. Notice Paul in a humble way says... Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as one born 
out of due time, one abnormally born. He was abnormally born. His salvation, his calling was very unusual. For I am the least of the apostles. That's not false humility. I think he believed it. I think he believed it. For I am the least of the apostles whom I am not worthy to be called an apostle. Why, Paul? Because I persecuted the precious church of God. Notice this. But by the grace of God, by the grace of God. Just think about that. The grace of God. Think of all the false gods in the world. Think of all the Moleks and the Asherahs and the, and the Baal gods and all the, all the horrible gods and all the things they make people do and all the, the demons behind them that produce terrible things in people's lives. But we serve the God of kindness and grace. Amen. He is so good. We sang it. Y'all got to sing it. God is so good. Just settle, settle on that a moment. God is so kind. And so good to all of us. We should praise him every day. We should give him thanks. As Paul said in all circumstances. For the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me. Notice was not in vain. Now listen. Look at me. He uses the word vain two times in this passage. Two times. He first of all uses it toward the Corinthians and their salvation. Here he uses it reference to his service to Christ. It was not in vain, but why? I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Look what I've done. It wasn't you, it was God's grace. Look what I've done. You've never done a thing. Look what I've done. You've never done a thing. I've never done a thing. If anything's ever done, it's because of the grace of God. It's because of the Holy Spirit. There should never be pride. There should never be any self-exaltation. Why? Because he that glories let him glory in the Lord. He said, it was the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and you believe. Amen. Let me spend a few minutes and let's talk about the gospel. What we find in this passage, Paul explaining to the Corinthians the gospel. And what I found in my experience as a minister of the gospel, when the gospel is correctly understood and approached in a church, it seems like everything else falls in place. When a church, but if a church does not understand the gospel, or if we're wrong on the gospel, if we're wrong on our approach to the gospel, or if it's not of first importance, then all these other spurious doctrines begin to usurp the message. And Paul was saying to them, I want you to get this right. And we need to get this right. Because this is the most important thing. And Paul gives here a wonderful Holy Spirit inspired. Now notice this. He said, I what I received. And he said to the Corinthians, what you received. Can I tell you, this has been received. This is not something that someone like Buddha came up with. Or someone like uh, came up with some religious kind of new age principles. No, this is different. This is the most different literature in the world. It is a God-given book. It came from heaven. This is God's heaven-sent book. God breathed this into chosen men, and they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul received this message, 
And guided by the Holy Spirit, he describes the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Listen to it again, verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins, according to the Scripture. Just a few thoughts from this passage. First of all, as we read this, I want you to see this. It's glaring to me, and I hope it is to you. And that is, the gospel is a person. The gospel is not just principles. Do these principles. Think of all the religious principles in Buddhism, or even in Islam, or in false religions of the world. Do these principles. Just do these things. You say, well, pastor, are there not principles in Christianity? Yes, the most glorious Kingdom principles the world has ever known. It's a lamp to our feet. Come on. And a light unto our path. Amen. Principles about salvation. Doctrines. Teachings about salvation. Teachings about what God thinks about the world. Teaches us how to relate to our world. It teaches how to relate to one another as brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. In the family of God. It, it, it gives us principles about money. How should the Christian approach money? How should we see it? How should we use it? It teaches how husbands and wives are to relate to each other. Listen, it teaches these principles in this book teach us the roles of men and women which have been blurred in our world. I was never confused about that. Anybody here confused about that? I never was. But I want you to hear this. But the gospel is not just about Christian principles. The gospel is about a person. The principles don't work without the person. Listen, other religious systems will work without the person. This will not work without the person. Because my salvation is just not accepting these principles My salvation is about accepting a person. And when I receive that person, his spirit comes to live on the inside of me. Colossians says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where is Jesus? He's in you and me. By the way of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is just not about principle. Hey, we'll just do these principles. A lost person can't do these principles. He may try, but all he turns into without Jesus is a legalist. Have you noticed people, that they turn into to critics and Pharisees. But the gospel is about a person. And his name is above, hallelujah, his name is above every name. Come on, say his name, Jesus. His name is Jesus. Who is he? If you'll notice with me. Look, look at this text again. I want to show you how glaring this is. I want to show you this. Notice, look at this text again. Just, let's let your eyes just peruse over these 11 verses. I'm going to pick out some things here for you. Now, what did I say? The gospel is a person. A principle won't save you. The person of Jesus Christ will save you. When Peter was sinking down, he didn't say, I need a principle. I need a scripture. No. He said, Jesus, save me. 
Jesus, help me. It was Jesus that reached down his hand to pick up Peter as he sunk down into the waters. I love these principles. I believe these are inerrant, perfect principles. But the gospel is about a person. And these principles are about him. But notice as we peruse over and let your eyes just glance over these verses. I want you to see this. The gospel is a person. He says this here, verse 3. I deliver to you first of all, which, you all, which, I, also, which I also received, that Christ... That Christ died for our sins. Look at verse 4. That he was buried. That he rose. Look at verse 5. And that he was seen. Verse 6. After that, he was seen by over 500. Verse 7. He was seen by James. Do you see? Salvation in the gospel is a person. A person that was died on the cross for our sins was buried and on the third day rose again and now is alive. He's alive. He's alive this night. He's Lord. He's alive. Salvation is a person, but he's a unique person. Jesus is God's own son. He's not like any man who ever lived because he was not just a man. He was not just a man born from Adam's fallen race. He was flesh, but he wasn't sinful. He was, he, was, he was born in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he wasn't sinful. He was born as a man, but he was God's son. In my mind's eye, I can see Jesus standing there on the edge of the Jordan River. And he took his turn to go in at John's baptism. And it was God, the Father, that... Or, that, that spoke to John and said, I want you to go down to Jordan and I want you to baptize. And he said, the reason I did that because God spoke to me and said, the one who you baptize and you see the Spirit coming down on like a dove, that's, that's him. That's the one you've been waiting for. That is the Messiah. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes to John. He says, John says, why are you coming to me to be baptized? I need to be baptized by you. Jesus said, let it be so for now, to fulfill all righteousness. Luke tells us that he was praying during this time. You ever notice Jesus always praying, always alone with the Father. And as he went down in the waters of baptism, down in the Jordan, which I've been baptized there, some some of you have. He comes back up and John sees the dove. The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. At that moment, something happened. Do you remember what happened? A voice came from heaven. Heaven spoke. Heaven spoke. And it wasn't just heaven. It was the Father. The Father wanted them to know and wanted John to know. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Hallelujah. God the Father has declared that the gospel is a person and that person is the very Son of God. Demons knew who He was. You know, some churches don't even know He was and don't know who He is. Liberal churches today don't even believe that Jesus is the Son of God in some of these liberal churches. Demons have a better theology than some people. Jesus came up on the shore 
on the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. When you come out of a boat, the scripture says, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This demon, these demons were driving this man into uncleanness. He was dwelling among the tombs and no one can bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. He was a madman. Always night and day in the mountain and in the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Possibly what happened is this man... Those demons driving him to insanity and to violence and to self-mutilation and antisocial behavior. And all of a sudden, the presence of Jesus and maybe that, that man reaching out in hope and falling down and worshiping Jesus. Can you help me? Can someone help me? And then those demons start, you know, demons try to keep people from the Lord. And then the scripture says this. And he cried out with a loud voice. Here's the de- what have I have to do? What do I? Here's the demon speaking through the man. What have I to do with you, Jesus, the Most High God? You know, demons know who He is. Demon spirits are afraid of Jesus. Demon spirits, for truth, are afraid of spirit-filled children of God. People that know who they are in Christ. Demons are afraid of you because you have a power and authority over demon spirits. They're afraid of you. But so many Christians are afraid of demons. We are, God has not given us a spirit of fear over demons. We have power over the enemy. And these demons said, Jesus. And then he said, I implore, I implore you by God that you do not torment him. Now Jesus is going to get in gear here and take authority over these things. But notice that. Jesus is the Son of God. Do you love him tonight? What kind of life did Jesus live? Perfect, right? Perfectly sinless life. John said it this way. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Romans says, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. By the resurrection of the dead. Peter said it this way. I love this. By the, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter in the, in the third chapter said, For Christ suffered once for sins. Notice, the just for the unjust. The just Jesus for the unjust, everyone else. That he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And John categorically says this, and you know that He was manifest to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. In Him there is no sin. What about His miracles? See, because the gospel is a person, 
It's a unique person, the very Son of God. His miracles. You know, ministers can become discouraged. <clears throat> One of the greatest ministers to ever live was John the Baptist. But yet he became discouraged after he was put in prison. He began to have doubts. You know, we can have experiences, but those experiences can leave us. Those feelings can leave us. You can be in a church service. The Spirit of God come on you, and you feel so strong and so full of faith, you don't feel like you're ever doubt again. But then you get out in the storm and the difficulty, and those doubts begin to creep back in. Here's John. He saw the dove descending from heaven. He heard the voice, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But yet now he's in prison. And he, he's starting to doubt. Is Jesus, was he really, really the one? And so he sends a message to Jesus in Matthew eleven three, 3. And he said, are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? And then how did Jesus answer him? Jesus says, Jesus answered and said to them to take message back. Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. Mighty Jesus. Because we have a mighty gospel. Because we have a mighty Jesus. The gospel is a person. The person of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He who bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes we are healed. Do you know we have a sick world today? Families are sick. Marriages are sick. Young people are very sick today. People's minds are sick. Our politics is sick. America is sick. What do we need? We need the gospel. We need Jesus to come in and with his stripes, we need him to heal our disease and heal our sickness. And he can do it. There's a bomb in Gilead. He can heal us. And he heals us by his shed blood. By the shed blood. And he raised on the third day. And then 40 days later, he ascended. And, and think about this. Not only was he raised from the dead, but he was raised as Lord of all. He is Lord of all, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And he's coming back, amen? This same Jesus, which you've seen go away, will come back in like manner as you've seen him go, Acts 1-11. He's returning soon. He's returning soon. Now. Not only does the gospel a person, but the gospel has witnesses. And the gospel has proclaimers. We mentioned them in the text here. Jesus appeared to many. After he was raised from the dead, they became witnesses. They saw him after his resurrection. After they saw him hang on the cross, expire, put him in the grave. And three days later, they saw him. They, they thought he was dead. They thought it was over. They were surprised he was raised from the dead. And they saw him. First, the apostles saw him. Cephas saw him. Peter saw him. 
He ate with them. He taught them 40 days. I mean, a dead man came back to life and taught them 40 days. And then the scripture said he had, and we don't know where this meeting was. I think it was in Galilee. 500 people saw him at one time. And then some 20 years later or so, maybe not quite 20, there was a man who was a violent persecutor of the church. And he was on the Damascus Road. And this man who was dead and rose again appeared to this man named Saul, later to become Paul, the great missionary to the Gentiles. And Paul saw him. He saw him, listen, his life so transformed, so transformed, he was never the same again. Jesus is in the life-changing business. Amen? I'm talking about the gospel. The gospel is a person. The gospel has witnesses and proclaimers, and they begin to tell everyone. See, it wasn't just a few, it wasn't just ministers telling. The whole church was about witnessing. I mean, the deacons were witnessing and laying hands on people and going out and doing miracles. And the church was scattered. And the, as the people were scattered by the flames of persecution, it said they went everywhere preaching the gospel. And the church, the, the gospel spread incredibly through the Roman Empire. Don't you think we need to spread the gospel in our city? We need to spread the gospel. Because we're all witnesses. You're a witness. We need to be sharing the gospel. Now consider this as we conclude. The gospel can be lost if we don't cling to it. The gospel can be lost if we don't persevere in it, if we don't cling to it, if we don't hold to it. Now of this fact, the, the, the Bible over and over, we're not talking about some obscure doctrine that's one little half a verse somewhere. I'm saying that there is a thoroughfare of scriptures emphasizing over and over and over again with such power and such clarity that you and I must persevere in the gospel. Only a persevering faith will be a saving faith in the end. Notice with me what he says. Verse 2. By which also you are saved if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. Now the way that I interpret the Bible is I just believe what it says. I believe what that says. Paul in his writings passionately warned those that would, uh, our, our brother Sunday, I thought the, uh, I enjoyed the message Sunday. I'll never forget that no chicken at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I, I love Brother Martin. He's a wonderful person. And, but that message was just a simple gospel message. It was wonderful. And you can ask my daughter right here. As we were coming to church tonight, we, we stopped at a red light because there was a lot of traffic. And there was a Kentucky Fried Chicken there, and I started laughing. She said, what are you laughing at? I said, how can you run out of chicken at Kentucky Fried Chicken? Then I, I said what he said. If you go to McDonald's and there's no chicken nuggets, you can get a burger. You know, if you go to a restaurant, you can get something else. What do you get at Kentucky Fried Chicken if there's no chicken? And then I said this, and what's a church without the gospel? Didn't I say that to you, Peyton? What's a church without a gospel? It's not a church. 
The Galatians had drifted, and he says, you've turned away from the gospel. There's no other gospel. And notice this. Paul uses the word vain twice in verse 1 and then in verse 10. And I'm going to close with these thoughts. Now, what does the term vain mean? What does it mean in verse 1 and two when, it, when it refers to the Corinthians? And what does it mean in verse 10 when Paul applies it to himself? Well, I think what it means to the Corinthians is this. It means that the Corinthians might trust Christ and have a saving experience with Jesus at the beginning, but not continue in their faith. And not continue in their firm trust in the Lord. Paul presents that as a real possibility. And he loves them enough to tell them the truth. It's not a one and done with Christians. In fact, you don't find that in Scripture. In the book of John, as you read through, every time in John where it says believe, it's not, a noun is not used. It's always a verb. Believing. Now hear this, only those who continue in their faith will be saved. The scripture is, is consist, gives us a consistent call to persevere in our faith. For instance, Colossians, in the body of the flesh through death to present you holy and blameless above reproach in his sight. If, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which Paul, I, Paul, became a minister. If you continue. Look at uh, or John 15, 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If anyone doesn't abide in me. Hebrews for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and having become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away. The Greek says having fallen away. Having fallen. In other words, presents it as happened. As a real possibility, that is. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Hebrews 10. Therefore do not... Cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, that after you've done the will of God, that you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But, but, if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe. To the saving of the soul. Those who believe and they keep believing. And then Paul uses this word vain in reference to his service to Christ. And Paul said, my labor wasn't in vain. The grace of God wasn't in vain. How could the grace of God be in vain? Well, it'd be in vain like this. The incredible grace of God has been poured out in each of our lives. The incredible grace of God was poured out in Paul's life in such a way that Paul said, 
I, I, was, I was such a wicked man that I persecuted the church that he said, I'm the chiefest of sinners, but the abundant kindness of God. He said, I was even a blasphemer, and yet the abundant grace of God gripped Paul, and he received mercy. God could have killed that man, but he received mercy. And the Lord washed his sins away. And the Lord called him to be an apostle, a special messenger to the Gentiles. And Paul could have been like a lot of Christians today that need to wake up. That they've received the grace of God. Like Paul. Paul served God with such zeal, with such vigor. If Paul was a member of this church, he'd be at every prayer meeting. If Paul was at this church, he'd be a teacher. He would be an usher. He would be bringing people. He would be so zealous. He would make us all ashamed. But I know that I pastored for over 30 years. And I can tell you this. Some people just come and listen to sermons and they go out the door. You can't get a drop of work out of them. And the Bible calls it the work of the Lord. The Bible calls it labor, work. We're not called to come and sit and soak and leave. We're called to work. And guess what? Work is hard. Hard. Hard to work. It's inconvenient. Take sacrifice. Paul served sacrificially. In fact, in 2 Timothy, he says this, For I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. In the time of my departures at hand, I finished my fight. I have, uh, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, but not only to me, but all those who love His appearing. I'm a drink offering. I'm being poured out for the Gentiles. I'm being poured out. I'm being persecuted. I'm, I'm, I'm tired sometimes because I work so hard. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. And receiving the grace of God in vain would be this, that sometime after his salvation, after the call of God, he's on fire for God. He's serving God. He's witnesses. He's faithful. And then all of a sudden, the lukewarmness comes in. Most American Christians are lukewarm. As far as it has to do with God, the coming of the Lord, and, and serving God, and giving account to Jesus, I don't believe there's one out of 10,000 American Christians that believe that they're going to stand before God and give an account to Jesus Christ for their service to God. You say, how do you know that? Because they're like this when it comes to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is coming. To go watch the sitcom. Oh, yeah, my kids need to do soccer, etc., etc. Paul said the grace of God wasn't in vain with me. Paul died running full speed in the race, and the grace of God was so abundant in him. He said this, I conclude with this verse. He never lost his passion to preach. To win souls. He never lost his sacrificial service. Some American Christians have never done one sacrificial thing for Jesus Christ. Some Christians, if you even talk about tithing, they, they throw up dust in the air. And all the churches want is money. One day, they're going to weep because of their self-centeredness. They're going to weep because of their self-absorbedness. Tithing is nothing. Tithing is nothing. Tithing is where you start. It's not where you end. Oh, I've given a tithe. Paul gave it all. But more than that, hear me. Jesus gave it all. Jesus gave it all. And you hear this. 
If this church is ever going to be built, it's not going to be built with yawning Christians, lazy Christians. It's going to be built with the Apostle Paul type people who say this, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To me to live is Christ means this. Every waking moment is about Jesus. It's about His kingdom. It's about His will. It's about His purpose. For me to live is Christ. Will you stand with me? Think about this tonight. The gospel is a person. The gospel is a person. He died. He was buried. He rose. He appeared. He did miracles. He is the very Son of God. The gospel is a person. The gospel has proclaimers, witnesses, of which we all need to be a part of. And the gospel, if not persevered in, can be lost. It can be in vain. And, and you, everyone in this room, I'm going to tell you, this is, this is such a pandemic. It's not even an epidemic. This has been so pandemic that everyone in this room can, can think about someone like this who used to serve God, used to be on fire for God, but now have no, they don't even go to church anymore. All their gods in their heart are stronger pulls on them. The fishing hole or the sports, ESPN, and, and, and their idols have killed their soul. And it's been in vain. It's like, listen, it's like Jesus... Death was nothing. It meant nothing to them. You say, does, does Jesus, is, was his grace in vain? Maybe, may not. You, you can tell someone when the grace of God hasn't been in vain. You can tell it. They just love Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Amen. Why don't we do this tonight? Why don't we just make a new commitment to Jesus tonight? Let's do that. Could we do that? Could you just lift your hands and just make a new, right there where you are, just make a new commitment to Jesus. Would you do that? Just make a new commitment. Lord, I lay my life down for you. Lord, fill my soul with such zeal. Oh, God, take my sacrifice. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Just take a few moments there. I'm going to ask Keith and Michael to come and lead something. And I just want you to take a moment. I know we're going to be gone in just a moment here, but just take a moment and let the Holy Ghost speak to you about your heart, about your commitment. Jesus, take my life. I lay it down for you, Jesus. Help us to take up our cross. Help us to take up the cross. Deny ourselves. Help us, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, lead us.